Oh, brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. Kinfolk, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we know you by so many names. Bless the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts, that they might be pleasing and acceptable unto you. God, you are our guide and our destination. Amen. Ever since I was a young boy, I've uh, had a little bit of an issue with authority. When I finally made my way through seminary, uh, they were trying to convince me, they kind of recruit you a little bit in the Reformed tradition to try out different denominations. I knew I wasn't organized enough to be a Presbyterian, wasn't quite mystical enough to be a Lutheran. And uh, I couldn't handle having a boss, so being some kind of Episcopalian was right out. Uh, same with the Methodists. I got turned on to Congregationalism because it was the most democratic form of church governance as far as I could figure. A friend of mine said, well, you're just trading one bishop for 200 bishops. I said, well, I'd rather have it that way. I think that that's a good way to run a church. It seems more akin to the Gospels and the Book of Acts. But the question of authority in the church is an important one, especially today, living in this sort of postmodern, post-capitalist world where we seem to be at the mercy of the authority of things like computer algorithms and a uh, handful of billionaires. It seems today that our authority as individuals and our authority as a church is diminished. Well, I don't know. I think that some people would likely say that the church's authority is still on display. After all, churches do not pay property taxes. That uh, was taken as a given for decades. But now, as municipal governments are pinching pennies and trying to figure out how to pay for water main repairs and getting the lead out of our pipes, a lot of people are looking at churches and their tax-exempt status, kind of a side-eye. I did the math. If you take your average church in America and you calculate back to the passage of the Johnson Amendment in 52 or 53, we had to pay back taxes. Well, your average church would be on the hook for something like $4 million. Well, that's kind of a lot of money. And if you think about it, we do benefit. We have the same police protection and fire protection. We benefit from all of the municipal goods and services that we use together. We don't pay taxes. That's one of the reasons that it frustrates me to no end when I see churches that are just shuttered Monday through Saturday, open up and alive on Sunday. The rest of the week they could be doing something, something helpful. So most churches are civic-minded enough to have something that they give back to their community in lieu of taxes. I've served small churches where all they could manage was to take care of a single bus stop. I served a congregation once that helped pay the salary of a uh, community support officer. This was a police officer with a degree in counseling and mental health. It was a cool project. I've seen other churches open up their campuses to be voting locations in order for people to participate in democracy. There's a million ways that you can give back to your community. But you don't have to. And that's the rub. You see, the authority of the church comes from a privileged position, historically speaking. We're much older than the United States of America. When we take as our authority 
name of Jesus Christ, our faith in God, it's kind of a big deal. All of this begs the question, then, who owns the church? Who is the church's, uh, whose name's on the deed? (laughs) And it's different in every church. Roman Catholic churches, well, they're all owned by one guy. It's not quite that simple. It's not quite that simple. But I remember when they were selling Nazareth College, they did have to get permission from the Pope. Can you imagine that? You're a real estate agent in Kalamazoo, Michigan. You're trying to do a deal. And somebody says, you gotta, do you speak Italian? I don't know if that's it. They say, you've got to contact the Pope. Get his permission. Now, the upshot is that if you're in a Roman Catholic church and you want to do a major building campaign, you do all that fundraising, you're on the hook for 50%. Rome is on the hook for the other half. Well, we don't have such a benefit. In Episcopal-type churches, in your Methodist churches, your Episcopalian churches, Anglican churches, usually the building and grounds belongs to the diocese or the bishop's bishopric or the superintendent of the district or whatever. I don't know. All I know is in Congregationalist churches, the church belongs to the members of the church. That's it. Under the Michigan State Constitution, the value of this church, would it be sold on the open market, could be equitably distributed to every member. Don't get any ideas. (laughs) We're not going anywhere. Because in our tradition, we believe that the church exists and thrives for its mission, for its purpose. We've got a job to do. We've got work to do here in Grand Rapids. The mission owns the church. The members attend. We believe that this is a gift given to us by our ancestors. Something that they believed was powerful enough to save lives, save even the world. So perhaps then our authority in the church comes from our purpose and our mission, so long as we're living into it. Today we've already heard 22 different names for God spoken aloud in this service. It seems important to God throughout the Bible that that God goes by many names and many descriptions. Even Jesus Christ himself takes for himself many names. For some people, they get real hung up on the names of God. They think if you don't get it right, you don't have your fire insurance in line. They think you've got to know God by, oh, this particular name or that particular name, or else you're not really worshiping God. I see a lot of times people say, oh, I believe in God. And somebody says, which one? I think that for us in this church, if we focus on the mission instead of the particulars, instead of the dogma and the doctrines about how we're going to name God, we'll find ourselves wrapped up in a project that's much larger than ourselves. I want to speak plainly about something. Right now there seems to be a lot of anxiety around uh, uh, the omniscience or all-powerfulness of God. Uh, You've heard this word, omniscient. It means uh, all-powerful, all-knowing. Omnibenevolent is all good. Omnipotent is, I guess, all-powerful. Those words are not in the Bible. Those are Greek. We borrowed them from the Hellenists, from philosophers. God does not claim to be all-powerful anywhere in the Bible. But in fact, there are numerous places in Scripture where God is, unfortunately, unable to fix the mess that God's children have found themselves in. That's right there in the first chapter, too. The second chapter, I should say. Adam, Eve, eat the fruit, hide their shame, 
we imagine them hiding in the garden. They go get, some, get behind some bushes and God walks in and says, where, where are you? You're God, you tell me. You know everything. But no, no, in the Hebrew Bible, God has the greatest authority, the most authority. And our brothers and sisters in the Muslim faith and the Islamic faith have hung on to this tradition. This is why they address God as most powerful, most merciful, most wise, not all-powerful. Because omnipotence, all-powerfulness, is a power of a child playing with puppets. Omnipotence is the power that we assign to little children playing with toy soldiers. We are not puppets. We're not made by God in God's own image to be puppets. And so God cedes some authority to the human creation, to created co-creators. Jesus Christ knows this. In our oldest gospel, in Mark, when Jesus goes to his hometown... And he's ridiculed and he's dismissed by the people of his village because of his questionable parentage. The Gospel of Mark says that he was unable to do any miracles there. Not that he didn't want to, but no, he could not. And Jesus bemoans the fate of Jerusalem, where he says, How I long to gather you in as your mother as a mother gathers her children under her wings. But he cannot. And so this question of our authority, the keys given to Simon Peter, is a very important one. Because as I see it, we have two choices. We can choose to eschew the authority that's given to us by God in Jesus Christ and to say, God, you're all-powerful, so this stuff is in your hands. And if you wanted it to be a certain way, well, then you would have made it that way. Or as the philosophers said, as the Stoics said, if God is unable to fix evil, then God is not all-powerful. And if God is not all-powerful, why call him God? I don't need the people in my life to be all-powerful for me to love them and be in relationship with them. In fact, I can tell you with all truthfulness, there have been times I've been inspired to great ministries, life-changing ministries, things that were going to really rattle people's cages. You know, get you put in the newspaper tomorrow morning. If I could just get ten people to show up. Nobody showed up. And I went to God in prayer and I said, I thought this was a good idea. And God says, I did too. We got it wrong. Just keep trying. Don't lose faith. That's the relationship that I have with God. Not that of a cosmic vending machine. Not some kind of cosmic parent who makes everything better all the time but a relationship with the universe itself that desires to be at peace with itself. For why on earth would God have created anything at all if it wasn't out of a deep and profound desire to be in community and relationship? All, all of the things that we do, both of our sacraments, baptism and communion, 
are about relationship. They're about community. They're not about omnipotence and omniscience. They're not about knowing the future. They're not about, they're certainly not about having all of the answers. We call the communion a holy mystery. We've been doing it for 2,000 years. You'd think we would have figured out the mystery by now. But it remains a mystery. And we do it in communion, not just with each other, but with Jesus Christ and God and all of the Christians who've gone before us and all of those who will come after us. It is a mystery to be in relationship with God. And so what authority do we have? Well, we have the authority given to us through the prophets, through Isaiah to do justice, through Micah to love mercy, through Jesus Christ in Matthew 25, right? To care for the weak and the afflicted, to set free those who are in bondage. That's the authority that we have. We have the authority to be co-conspirators with God Almighty for the salvation of the universe. And in this little corner of the universe, this beautiful little blue globe floating in space, we have the power and authority to demand that we cease destroying God's creation. We have been drafted into that effort. So the world is on fire and Christians have the authority to stand up and say, enough is enough. This is not our home to destroy. It is God's. We are its stewards. So names for God that I use, Adonai, Hashem, the name, names I use for us, beloved of God, all things I know to be true. But I would not reduce God's creation or diminish it by claiming that God was a puppet master pulling the strings over an empty and soulless universe filled with creatures that have no free will of their own. That's not a relationship. That's a, that's a robot, as Ben said. <laughs> So who owns the church? What is our authority? That which Jesus Christ has given us to do. To heal. To lift up. To stand against injustice when we need to. And to be a church for those who have yet to walk through the doors. There are hundreds of members St. John's Church out there in the neighborhood. They just haven't come home yet. Our job is to make ready for them and have this home ready to receive them when they're ready to come home. And it doesn't matter who they are or who they love or what they look like because this is their home and we're ready to receive them with open arms. That's why we have been given this amazing place and this intergenerational mission and ministry so that we can be co-conspirators with God for the salvation of the world. And I think that that's enough. That's enough work for me for this week. I think probably for all of us. Amen?
Amen.